All right, if y'all like to stand with me, if y'all are able and willing, and we will start in verse 65. All right, starting in verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statues. The insolence smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fats, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statues. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands made me Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servants. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight." Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me and falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. And may my heart be blameless in your statues, that I may not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Let me be seated. If y'all do not mind, I'm going to take a moment uh, to pray for us again. Not because Joel did anything wrong. I just think it'd be a good idea. Lord, we thank you again for uh, gathering us here today, and we're just thankful for everyone who you have allowed to be here, and we're uh, thankful that uh, you created us, and you have uh, redeemed us, and you've created us to worship you, and to serve you, and to glorify you, and we're just thankful that you are an intimate God who... uh, created us, and you are highly, highly involved in all aspects of our life, and things seen and uh, unseen. And for the word that you have given us, we just uh, pray that any barriers that any of us may have, Lord, just that those are busted down, and that we all have uh, open hearts and open ears for all of your word, and that uh, we leave here uh, with a better understanding and acceptance of you, and uh, who you are, and that includes uh, all of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so just like the previous weeks, we are covering through uh, two stanzas uh, today. And the the first stanza today is um, one where the psalmist begins with contemplating uh, God's goodness, right? And so he starts with saying that you have dealt with your servants, and you, but he says you have dealt with your servants well. And so the servant is telling to us is that, that God has been gracious uh, to his servant. He has been good to his uh, servant. And so sometimes, I know for me, when I first read that you have dealt well with your servants, it means, it's almost to me sounds like the way I've heard it used in my life, which is more so like, uh, it's a form of tolerance. You have to deal with a person, that you have to put up with that person. <laughs> And so when I first read that, it kind of struck me in a certain way. 
Uh, but as we read the, in the psalm, we see that this, the psalmist is saying that God has been gracious and he has been good to his servants in this, in this life. And I would hope that any Christians can find comfort in knowing that God does deal well uh, with his people. And so like, when you look at your, your personal story, your personal testimony, I know for mine, when I look back, especially like on my story, when God saved me when I was in college, I'm able to look back and see all the different ways that God has grown me and that God has pruned me uh, in this life. And some of them are things that I can look back and like, I explicitly asked for God to free me of this, or to God to grow me in this. And then there's other things I look at, and I didn't ask for that stuff. <laughs> I didn't ask, I wasn't concerned about that. Um, I wasn't looking for ways to uh, really, at the beginning, to like, learn how to love my neighbor, to care about my fellow students when I was in college, or, or any of those kind of things. But I was concerned about like, what I was looking at on the computer, or the words that were coming out of my mouth. And, like, I was concerned about those things. Um, but God gave me, without asking for it, which is awesome, a, a, a heart for my, for my neighbor, a heart for the lost. Um, I didn't ask for a heart for the church, but God gave me that. He's dealt well with me in that. Um, I was not interested or looking at different way to, for ways to come and to stand before people and look at all of y'all, look at me, while like I preach uh, God's word. Um, public speaking has had always been a phobia of mine, and it is to a lesser extent today than it was before. Um, I did summer school when I was growing up because I refused to present my essays and presentations that my, my teachers required of me. Like this is a, and there's so many different ways we can look at how God has dealt well with his people. And what's cool is when you can look at it and be like, I didn't ask for that. But God in his infinite goodness chose to do so anyways without us asking for it. And so for like each of us, it's always fascinating to look, how, look and see how God has uh, dealt with us, how God has changed us, how God has... Uh, grown us. In some ways, it's terrifying. In some ways, it's not easy. In some ways, it's hard. Um, I can look back and like look at how things, how I've had conflict with people. Uh, for sometimes things I didn't do wrong, um, and those were painful times, and those were trying times, and like they were very nerve-wracking times. And like there's things that in those times where God caused you to deal with those difficult situations, you may not understand why God's dealing with causing you to go through that then. But you can look down the road and see, well, this might have had something to do with it. Well, because I dealt with this situation, this hard and difficult person, I'm better equipped to deal with more hard and difficult things later uh, down the road. And sometimes we can look at it and be like, oh, well, A, allow me to deal with B and C. And sometimes we don't always get to see like B or C. Sometimes we just don't always know everything. Uh, but what we can hope is that as God has deals with us in our lives, that uh, it draws us closer to him and uh, allows us to go to his word more and to pray more and to worship him uh, more. And so God has, God has dealt with me in my life. Um, I've been blessed to be an instrument in his hand in a lot of different ways. Um, I've been allowed to bless other people, and sometimes I've been allowed to see the fruit of that, and then other times I haven't been allowed uh, to see the fruit of that, and that's okay. Um, but when we think about a lot of the ways that God has dealt with us, um, we can look at a few things, there's a lot of, of ways, probably endless ways, but we can see that God has dealt with us by uh, Jesus willingly going to the cross. Uh, God has dealt with us by sending us the Holy Spirit to make us believe in him and also to live in us and to shape us and turn us into new people. Um, God has dealt with us by adopting us as his sons and daughters into his uh, household, uh, he deals with us by giving us a mission with our life and a purpose. 
And one that I think we tend to forget is that God deals with us by encouraging us uh, in, this, in this life. And so not only has God dealt with us, as the psalmist has said at the beginning, but he deals with us, he deals well with us, and he frees us, and he also enriches us in uh, this life. Um, and in all in a way that only God can, only God in his sovereignty and his everlasting love. Um, and, he, and when he deals with us, uh, he does and should rightfully so receive all the glory for all of the work that he does uh, in our lives. And it has been said before, at, while we've gone through, this, through Psalm 119, that this psalmist does not have like a very well-developed theology. This, he's not a scholar. Uh, he's nothing like that. Uh, but the writer... Um, does know, and we know this from reading the scripture, the promises of, of God. He's read the promises of God and he's experienced uh, the promises of God, which is what we've read about in the psalm today. And as Christians, uh, our experience is that we do know uh, God's promises, that we have received uh, God's promises, and we have also like people who have experienced uh, God's promises uh, in this life. And God has dealt better with each of us than any of us have actually uh, deserved. And that includes all the ways that he uh, deals with us. Uh, God's goodness towards us should uh, exceed any and all of our expectations and go beyond anything that we could have ever imagined uh, in this life. And what we know from Psalm 119 is that God deals with us not the ways that we want to, not in the ways that we feel fitting, not with what we think we deserve or what we're entitled to, but, when, but God deals with us well, and he does so according to his word. And so as the psalmist continues and uh, understands the... Uh, the psalmist understands the dangers of trusting his own heart, as we see in Psalm 119. Um, he understands that good judgment is not something that he acquires or any of us acquire uh, on his own uh, naturally. Uh, good judgment shines a light on our judgments and our uh, discernments. So our natural judgment, our natural discernment is different from good judgment, which we see in the psalm. And um, this is what we see in uh, Proverbs 14, 12, that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way uh, to death. And so what we know from Scripture is that our judgment is not good, uh, and we have a tendency to rely on our own judgments. Uh, we have a tendency to uh, default to our, our feelings, because if we feel a certain way about something, that must be right, because that's my instinctive feeling. If I'm angry about something, it must be right because I feel angry. If I'm happy about something, it must be right. If it feels good, um, if I think that it's wrong instantaneously, if I think it's right, like we have a tendency to automatically default to, well, I feel this, so this must be right and good. But we know from Scripture here that we cannot rely on our own judgments, but we need God to give us good uh, judgments. And so a lot of this sometimes involves uh, hard things. Uh, but if we listen to the Holy Spirit, and if we pay attention, that there is blessing and there is reward in, in, in this. And it doesn't mean that these things are not scary. It doesn't mean that these things are, are not hard. It doesn't mean that they're not painful. Um, sometimes that there is sacrifice involved, uh, but there is blessing and reward in not going with our judgments, 
but going forward with the Holy Spirit and trusting in God's judgments over our own uh, fleshly judgments. And so, yes, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it may be scary for us, painful. But there is blessing and sacrifice, blessing and reward in trusting God's judgments over our own judgments. And with the self-awareness, the psalmist we see is running to God, and he's asking God, like we said, to teach him good judgment and to teach him knowledge. And the psalmist is wanting to grow in his discernments. He's wanting to run from his instincts, running from trusting his feelings, running from trusting the flesh, and he wants to grow in discernments. He wants to know the difference between what is good and what is evil, what I feel is good and what is actually good, what I think is evil and what is actually evil. Uh, the psalmist is asking God, is asking God this while saying, "I believe your commandments," which is interesting because he's based, he's saying he's like, "I believe in it, but I don't fully know or grasp or understand it yet. So please teach me what I do. Teach me what I believe." And again, the psalmist has self-awareness enough to know that he knows God's word. But he also understands that his heart is not what it needs to be. And he's looking for dependency in God and not himself, but for wisdom and for uh, obedience. The psalmist is asking God to reveal to him in real life uh, what God has commanded of him in this world. Say, teach me to distinguish between truth and falsehood. Teach me to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. And as we continue, the psalmist shares that before his affliction, uh, that he did uh, go astray and that he did um, go, (laughs) before he was afflicted, he did uh, go astray. And a lot of our growth, again, if we reflect back on our life and how we got to where we are now, um, there is a lot of growth during uh, during times of affliction. A lot of our pruning is during times of affliction. And when we, get, when we get comfortable and when we find ourselves at home in the world, uh, we tend to go astray. And quite often it seems that sometimes we go, we go astray and it happens before we even know that it happens, before we're aware that it happens. And so, like we said, sometimes when we go astray, it happens before we even know it. But God, out of love and compassion for you, for his people, for us, he puts affliction in our lives, and he does it for our good. And sometimes we get it twisted, and sometimes we, we just don't understand things quite the way we, we should. But sometimes we think that when we deal with affliction, uh, we tend to think that it has been because God has abandoned us, or because God has left us, or because God was never uh, with us. And sometimes we get it twisted, sometimes we get confused. And, but Matthew Henry says that sanctified, sanctified affliction humbles us for sin and shows us the vanity of the world. Uh, they soften the hearts and open the ear uh, to discipline. So in our disobedience, God compassionately allows affliction. Um, the scripture says that he appoints it, he appoints it and it does so to teach us. First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter three verse three says, "For you yourselves know that we are destined for this." And this is uh, Paul is writing, and he says, "Destined for this." This means affliction. 
He's saying that we are destined for uh, this affliction. And so as we endure affliction in our lives, we must know that God has a plan for it and that God has a purpose for it. Uh, just a few uh, minutes ago when Mike was up here, he had said that God wastes nothing in our lives that he gives and delivers to us. And so this means that everything that God sends to us has a purpose, and this includes affliction, this includes uh, suffering. And God allows this so that we will uh, stumble forward in obedience and to obey him, and so that we will not go astray. And sometimes it's when we have gone astray, he gives it to us so that, he will, so that we will come back closer, closer than we were before. And so the affliction in our life is ultimately so that we will surrender uh, to God. With that being said, not all affliction is good, though. And that's something that we have to understand. Um, sanctifying affliction is a good thing, and it does an inc incredibly glorious work uh, in our life. And as we endure affliction, we must listen to God during the time of our suffering and allow the affliction to do what God has put it there uh, to do. And if affliction is, is doing what it should, it should look like what verse 67 says, but when he, the psalmist says, but now I keep your word. And so because of the affliction and the suffering that God had put in his life, it, now the psalmist is stumbling forward in keeping God's word. And as difficult as it is to hear, that's a good thing. Like It's a good thing that God loves us enough to give us suffering so that we can move closer in intimacy with him and be obedient to his word. Um, the pain that you endure uh, during affliction, if it draws you back to God and it makes you more obedient to him, then surely we can agree, even if it's difficult, to say that it was definitely worth it to endure that time and that season. Uh, but if affliction does not do that, then that's when we look at affliction and say, like, not all affliction is good. But if affliction leads us to closer intimacy and obedience to God and knowing his word, then we must be able to say that it is good and that it was worth it. And thanks be to God for sending that to me. Um, with that being said, we can look at Christ, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, 8 says this in regards to Christ and his suffering. Um, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Which is a really interesting verse. It's a really interesting theology. Um, and a lot of us, with that in mind, must need, we really need to reform our understanding of affliction. We need to continue to grow in our understanding of suffering uh, in this life. And we look at what the, the writer said in Hebrews and what he's saying about the suffering that Christ endured and who Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father. And so you would think that Christ should not suffer, right? And on top of that, you would think that Christ should not learn uh, from suffering. Like, that's what it seems like on the surface. Uh, but we know from God's word and from the reading and studying of Christ's life is that Christ was 100% God and was 100% man. And Christ, in his suffering, learned obedience through when he suffered. And so if Christ does suffer, and if Christ does learn from suffering, then surely us, as God's adopted sons and daughters, should not expect freedom from what Christ did not have freedom from. Uh, we should not expect a treatment that Christ did not uh, receive. Um, we should not expect freedom from affliction in this life. 
Um, Christ suff- uh, promises uh, suffering to the, the disciples that physically walked with him. And as hard as maybe is to comprehend for us, Christ learned obedience in his life and ministry through affliction. And so everything that Christ endured in his life prepared him for what he would endure on the cross for you and uh, for me. And so there's nothing that is ever asked of you. There's nothing that's ever asked of me. There's nothing that's ever placed in our life for us that Christ did not already endure infinitely more than you or I will ever endure in this life. We endure a significantly smaller load than what Christ endured in his life and ministry and on the cross. And so who Christ is and what he did in his life and ministry is really bleeding through what, all of what we've seen in Psalm 119. And so everything that we see written here about affliction and, and the stanza about suffering, like we can point back to, you see all of it within the, the life of Christ. Um, everything. And so like as we study affliction, as we develop our theology on suffering, we can, as we read the Psalm 119, as we should read about the life and ministry of Christ to help us understand and develop a better and greater theology uh, on suffering. So what's also interesting in this psalm is that the psalmist uh, praises God for his uh, affliction that he has endured. And he says that uh, God is good for the affliction that he has appointed to him. And not only is God good, but God is doing good in the affliction that he's pointing, that he has, God has given to him. Uh, and the psalmist is not angry about the affliction that he endures, which is, again, this whole, this whole psalm is fascinating. Like, I can just keep saying it over and over again, but, like, it really is it's fascinating. It's interesting. Uh, it's rich. Like, it's incredibly uh, rich. Um, the psalmist is not holding grudges against God, um, nor is he nervous or looking like he's frightened, uh, but he's thankful for the affliction, and he's uh, celebrating the affliction. He's praising God uh, for what God has done to him. Uh, and the psalmist is glorifying God for the affliction uh, that he's endured. Um, the hard and difficult times that God has uh, put the psalmist through is for the purpose uh, for sanctifying uh, the psalmist. Um, for the purpose of, again, affliction is for drawing us closer uh, to God. And we should look to God uh, in uh, thankfulness for the affliction and the suffering that God has put uh, in our life. We should look to him in thankfulness uh, for that. Uh, you and I cannot begin to grasp all the good that God does in our lives every single day. And that includes the affliction that we should be thankful uh, for. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, including affliction, work together for good for those who are called according to his uh, purpose. And like we said, there's so much that goes unseen. Our continued awareness is limited uh, based off of our uh, vulnerability, uh, but it should cause us to be a humble people, right? And so as we crawl or stumble closer in understanding how big and how great God is, um, the fact that he loves and cares enough for each of us to ordain anything at all in our lives, including affliction, should... um, pull us into admiration and love and thankfulness for 
for God and, and who he is. Um, Charles Spurgeon has this to say about affliction. Uh, he says that he has cut you sometimes with the very sharpest knife he had, and it was necessary for him to cut deeply with it so as to get out the very roots of the cancer that was destroying you. And so when you think about that illustration, if you don't, underst- if you don't understand what's happening in that moment, when, the, when the, 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 the doctor takes a knife to you, if you don't understand what's going on, like you're pretty, you're angry, right? You're angry, you don't understand, like that's, you're cutting into my flesh. <laughs> but if you understand that the doctor has to do that to pull out something that is tainted and causing illness and destruction in your life, then you don't get mad. You're actually eager for the doctor, like go ahead, cut, like cut my arm, cut and grab the illness, grab what's tearing my life apart and get it out of me. That's how like we should look at affliction and suffering in our life. And it's like, we, that's what we say, thank God for the affliction, because God is the affliction there to pull out the deepest and ugliest parts of who we are to sanctify us and draw us in for worship and to praise him and to worship him and to know his word uh, better. Uh, we should thank God for affliction because of like, why it's there and what it does. Um, so we should thank God for the affliction he causes in our lives for the purpose of sanctifying us. And we should desire to grow in, in obedience to God like, as a result. And we see with the psalmist that the affliction that he's dealing with here uh, involves the people uh, around him. Um, as the psalmist is, is, has written, uh, we see that he's dealing with the insolent people or proud people or wicked people. And we see that these people have... Uh, trying to damage the name of the psalmist. Um, they were after his uh, reputation, and they took great pride in walking all over him, and uh, they might have even believed that they were justified for lying about the psalmist um, and accomplishing, to accomplish their tasks. Um, in the midst of this affliction, we see the psalmist say that um, he has not abandoned God or his word. Uh, we see that the psalmist endured the affliction of those around him, uh, we see the psalmist is being patient with the affliction that they're enduring around him. Um, he's not, the psalmist is also not taking up lies and slander uh, to taint the, the enemy. And what we see from Psalm 119, and like, once again, like throughout a lot of scriptures, is the best way for us to, dis- to respond with lies and slander in life in such a way is to expose those lies and slanders by living a certain kind of, of life. Um, when someone, and in addition, the best way, so the best way to do so is to, is to expose them by living in such a way, right? To live in such a way that the lies and slander are proven uh, to be false. And we can also know that when someone uh, lies and sins against us, that they are also naturally lying and sinning uh, against God. And part of what we can look at from what the psalmist does here uh, with the affliction that's being put on him by the others around him is that he is starving for uh, God's word, that he is hungry for God's word. And we see that in verses 69 and uh, 70. And so the, the psalmist is enduring the affliction of those around him, and also we see that the psalmist says that he's hungry and starving for the word of God, which is different from his enemies who are doing wrongly to him. That the psalm says that their heart is fat. So when we see that the heart is fat, he's saying it's, the heart is fat uh, for the world, that the heart is full of the world. 
and it's full of the pleasures of the world, and it's full of the pleasures of the darkness of the world. And that's that's, that's word, no, noteworthy because the psalmist is not jealous of what they have. Uh, he's not envious of his enemies who are afflicting him. Um, he's not lusting for the pleasures of the world that, that like they are. But again, he delights in the word of the Lord. And even during this time of affliction, he is, once again, trusting uh, God. And so we see over and over again through, these, through Psalm 119 that it always goes back to, to God's word, to knowing God's word, and to um, just understanding God's word and his uh, promises. Um, the psalmist says that, right, that it was good for him to be afflicted because he learned God's word. And how we respond to, how we respond to affliction is vital. Uh, in this psalm, we see that the psalmist responds well to affliction, and the affliction caused him to go to God uh, in prayer. And affliction, again, pulled him to God's word, and his actions were uh, correct in this. And so those who sinned against him, when those, they sinned against him, he didn't retaliate in sin, but he retaliated by going and running to God over and over again. And so the affliction drew the psalmist in to worship, which is what we've said up until this point, is that the affliction is good because affliction is there to draw you to God and to draw you in to worship. And the, affliction, the, the psalmist here, like, isn't even, he's actually hoping for good things from those who are attacking him. Um, and so the worst affliction is affliction that is wasted. But in this affliction, we also see that the affliction causes the uh, psalmist to actually hope for them to repent, which is, uh, again, interesting. And so during times of affliction, it's important for us to uh, listen to brothers and sisters in the body, right? It's important for us to not go and run, uh, run in isolation and hide, uh, but it's important for us to go and be around our brothers and sisters uh, in the body. It's important to not neglect God's word it's important to turn to God. Uh, uh, the learning and loving of God's word is essential during times of affliction because if we don't turn to God, the affliction is uh, wasted. Uh, but God's word is more valuable than any amount of like gold or silver, which is what we see in uh, the psalm. And so uh, Jesus endured great affliction during his years walking uh, among us, which we had shared a, a moment ago. And Hebrews tells us, like we shared a moment ago, that he learned obedience through affliction. And like the psalmist who was slandered by those around him, Jesus was most definitely slandered during his life and ministry on many occasions. Uh, to name a few, he was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of being a blasphemer. Uh, he was accused of being uh, a terrorist. And, general, and he was just in general was accused of being uh, a sinner. Um, but unlike the psalmist, though, Jesus was truly uh, obedient. Uh, Jesus was truly obedient to the point that in his obedience, he had a pure uh, heart. And Jesus truly was obedient to the law. And Christ had pure connection and intimacy um, with the Father. And like as the psalmist continues, uh, he talks about how close God is with him, which is important when you're talking about uh, affliction. And so in the, the, in the second stanza we cover, we're covering, he says that God uh, basically um, built him, like created him with his hands. Um, and what he's saying is that God uh, made us, like God created us, and he did so 
uh, carefully. He crafted us with his hands. Uh, and this is true about our creation. And of course, it's also true about our uh, redemption. And as the psalmist continues, he goes as far as to say that, because uh, he still is talking, affliction is still a part of this. He continues to say that the affliction that he endured is proof of God's faithfulness uh, to him. And so by appointing affliction in his life, God was being faithful to the, the psalmist. And so it pleased God to afflict the psalmist, and it pleases God to bring affliction into our lives. Um, it's evidence. And once again, this is one of those ha- truths that is hard for us to, like, to swallow sometimes. But it's, it is evidence of God's faithfulness to us when he brings affliction uh, into our lives. Um, we are not worthy of the affliction that God causes us, but God is right and God is just for what he brings in our direction, and he is faithful in uh, doing so. And in the midst of the affliction, he comes to God and he prays for God for, to God for mercy, for kindness. And affliction without support is a very lonely affliction. Uh, affliction without support is lonely, and it's an awful place to be in. Um, but while we are spending a lot of time on affliction, we cannot neglect God's kindness in the midst of his affliction, God's nearness and God's intimacy in the midst of it, and God's mercy in the midst of our affliction. Because uh, we have to know that and speak about God's generosity and kindness when we speak of uh, suffering. Um, and I almost jumped the gun on this set a minute ago, but um, we're back to the, the enemies of the psalmist. Um, that the psalmist had not forgotten about his enemies, as we see in the second stanza that we're covering, and that he had little value for uh, what they valued. Um, and that he, the psalmist also says that he wants them to, uh, to be put to shame. And on the surface, for some of us, that might look like it's petty and it might look like it's vengeful. Um, but that's also why it's important for us to know God's word and to continue to always allow scripture to interpret scripture. Um, but this also echoes from Psalm 83 verses 16 through 18 that say, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. And so what we see in Psalm 119 and 183 is a consistency. A consistency in prayer and a hopefulness that the enemies, those who cause the, cause the affliction on them, will uh, repent for not just what they did, but who they are. And so the shame that the psalmist is uh, crying out to God for is, he's, is shame that would lead to uh, conversion and that they would uh, hopefully uh, humbly repents and submits to uh, the one true God, and we do we uh we don't see this just in the Psalms. We see this throughout the entire Bible, Old Old Testament, New Testament. Like we see throughout all of the Scripture, um, instruction to uh, love our enemies and to pray for uh, pray for their hope and repentance and redemption. And Psalm eighty three tells us that uh, we want them to be ashamed of what they've done, who they are but we also want them to repent of their wickedness. Um, but Psalm 83 even goes as far and, as to say that um, if they do not repent and turn from their wickedness, uh, that they should be uh, 
put to shame and perish. And in addition, the psalmist had a, in addition to this, so the, the psalmist is praying for the people who are causing affliction to him, and he's praying for the best. But we know from Psalm 83 that if there is not repentance, then the best thing for your enemies is shame and perish. But as the psalmist continues, the psalmist has a great care for uh, God's uh, people. Uh, he desires their friendship. He uh, hopes that they uh, might pray for him and that they will associate uh, with him. Um, in verse 80, the psalmist prays for a good heart, a heart that is uh, blameless, and he is praying for a uh, healthy soul. And so Jesus is the one who truly has a good heart. Um, Jesus is the one who is truly blameless before the Father. Um, that's why he's the only one, only one perfect sacrifice for us to reconcile us back to God. Um, in addition, Jesus has no beginning and he has no end. That he was present with the Father and the spirits in Genesis 1 at creation. Uh, I say that so that we can reflect on verse uh, 73, that Jesus hands made and uh, fashioned us. That uh, just like his hands were there at the beginning of creation, his hands were the ones that were pierced so that we could be saved and reconciled back to God. And so again, when we look, read the Psalms, they're everything in the, the, the ink is bleeding out everything that we can know and need to know about uh, Christ. In so many ways, Psalm 19 points us back to Christ. And as we continue through the Psalms this summer, the hope and prayer for us is that we will continue to see Christ throughout all of uh, Psalm uh, 119, and we'll continue to be refreshed with truth and, truth and goodness in who Christ uh, is, not just was, but is. And like I said before, we all know this in some way or another, but we are all still a work in progress. Um, God is sovereign over all things, and even with, when we wrestle with scriptures and theologies, God is not done with us uh, in those uh, moments. Uh, and again, verse 73 says uh, that your hands, God's hands, have made us and uh, fashioned us. Um, I'm going back to that text again because it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, that text is also not an accident. So the scriptures are intentional. Uh, they're the infallible word of God. They're inspired. And we need to know that we serve an intentional and uh, personal God and that he is directly involved. Some of this is repetition on purpose. That he's involved in our lives in ways that we don't see, in ways that we don't understand. Uh, God is the sovereign creator. We are created beings. Um, we are limited. He is unlimited. Um, and even when we look back on our personal history, and I shared just a tiny bit of mine earlier, um, we are able to see what we could not see then, and we continue to see things that we didn't see before. And uh, God will continue to reveal more to us about who we once were, who we are, and who we're going to be. And some of it we will never, we will never probably see. We won't see all of it. Um, but I say a lot of this because all, all, all of us, in a lot of different ways, are in different stages in our lives. We're in different stages of our lives. We come from different places. We've had different journeys. Um, we have had different trials uh, in our lives. And we are all working, we're all working through our past. And we've all gone through like different afflictions and different sufferings. I've suffered in different ways. My wife has suffered in different ways. And y'all have just suffered in different ways than I have. And there will be ways in the future where that will still be true again. There will be more. And it will be different for a lot of us. But what I want for everybody to hopefully hear 
And I say this understanding that I am a messenger, and I can feel confident that me, Joel, and Mike can all agree that all three of us would make awful Holy Spirits. <laughs> and so there is a temptation sometimes when you come that you have to kill when you come to deliver a message is you, you have to understand that you're not the Holy Spirit. You spend hours upon hours preparing this, doing the best that you can, and your best is still only your best. And we have to understand that we are not Holy Spirits, that we are simple messengers, and that the Holy Spirit is working on you in the way that God is because that's how it is. So I say all that because I don't know all of the affliction and suffering that you've had in your life. I don't know what it's like to go through what you've gone through. But what I can do is try to come up here and preach the truth in grace and love and, of course, in sensitivity. Uh, because these are just not academic ideas for this, that we study for the sake of studying. These are truths about who God is and who we are and the life that we have in reconciliation back to him. Like our sanctification is a, a process. And so I say all that because for whatever you have endured, whatever you have suffered, and whatever you are probably still maybe even working through some of the things that you've endured in your past, but please know that it is the absolute 100 truth that you can find confidence in that God does not hate you and that God is not neglecting you and that God, in the midst of all of this, has not abandoned you. And like Mike said when, during worship, like nothing is wasted in this life. God wastes nothing. And so while you may not comprehend a lot of your affliction and suffering, uh, by the grace of God, he will continue to, exp uh, to share more of it and reveal more of it to you. But please know that everything in, we've read about Psalm 119 and other scriptures is true and that you can find peace and comfort in knowing that God loved you enough and was faithful enough to allow you to endure what you did so that you can know him better and greater. Um, you are, even though you, you have suffered, you truly are an adopted son and daughter of the one true uh, king. And you can find uh, peace and comfort in that. And that is true. That's why we're baptizing people here in a little bit. It's because the gospel uh, is true. Uh, our, your salvation is evidence that God has not abandoned you and that he is clinging and holding on to you and that he will never uh, give you up. Uh, the promise, your sanctification is evidence that God has not uh, abandoned you and given you up. Uh, the promise of the assurance of your salvation, it is good news that you don't get to decide that you get to walk away from God. It is good news that uh, God does not get tired of us or, or sick of us. It is good news that unlike the parents that we all had, that God does not get tired of hearing from us. We do not get on his nerves. He enjoys and loves answering our prayers. He likes it when we cry out to him. He likes it when we come to him for things. So all I, again, what I want for all of us to know, again, we have all endured affliction in different ways, but please know that's not because God hates you. Please know that's not because he, he, is, he is neglecting you. It's the complete opposite, actually. And he is the complete opposite of he has not abandoned you. That is not true. And quit saying it to yourself. Uh, and fortunately for you, in that moment, your feelings are not authoritative. And thank God that they're not. Thank God that truth is not submissive to your feelings. Thank God that you are not sovereign and that you do not speak into existence what is truth that God has. 
And with that, I'll just go ahead and pray for us. Lord, we thank you for all of who you are. And um, I just pray for each one of us that we know that the, your word, that we know and trust that your word is true, that we know and trust that you are the one true uh, God, and that everything you give to us, everything is for our good, and that everything you take away from us is for our good. And I just pray that each one of us continues to grow and develop a good, uh, solid theology around our suffering and our affliction. And that we continue to know that in our affliction that you are good and that you are true and that you are in control. And that just we can continue to find rest and peace in who you are. And we can be thankful and celebrate that you are who you are and you are not sometimes who we say that you are. And we just want to continue to find rest and peace in the truths of you and your word. And we thank you for baptism and may we each just celebrate today uh, the new lives that you've given to those who are baptizing, but also to just those of us who are here, all of us here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.